The following is paid programming brought to you by WT Wealth Management. Nothing we discuss should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational purposes only. Please do your own research and speak to an investment advisor or financial planner before making any investment decisions. Welcome to Intelligent Investing with Glenn Least. I'm your host, Jeff Horvitz. This week, Glenn and Cody will discuss part two of our series on commonly asked investing questions. We're going to get into dollar cost averaging, what are some common types of investments, and more. Glenn Least is a senior investment advisor with WT Wealth Management. Cody Harmon is here as well. He's an advisor assistant. And you can learn more about Glenn by going to WTWealthManagement.com or by calling 928-225-2474. That's 928-225-2474. Part two, Glenn, welcome. How are you doing today? Cody? how's it going? Doing well. How are you? Part two of uh, some common investing questions, commonly asked investing questions. If anyone missed it last week, we went over quite a few things, including what's the difference between savings investments, why should you invest? Risk, how much yeah. risk? All yeah. of that. Uh, you can get those easily by going to WT Wealth Management, or you can check out our podcast online. Uh, any of your podcast platforms. Type in Glenn Lease, uh, Intelligent Investment with Glenn Lease on Spotify, Amazon, and follow us that way too, or call us. So. A, a growing catalog of uh, yeah, podcast yeah. episodes up we there, dozens lot, yeah. and dozens. Yeah, like thirty-five or something like that. Yeah, that, that's yeah. great. That's great. Okay, so let's pick it up from where we were last week, uh, Glenn. What What are some of What's some common types of investments? Yeah. So when we're talking about the work that we do, the most common type of investments that we we come across or we are usually implementing for clients is going to be stocks, ETFs, mutual funds, bonds, maybe maybe a real estate investment trust, um, maybe some commodities funds. And so when I say ETF or mutual fund, that that term itself, just think of a basket, right? You know, those really those those terms themselves refer to a basket, and you can fill up that basket with whatever you want. So if someone says, "Hey, is a mutual fund risky or safe?" The following question is, "Well, what's in that basket? What's in that mutual fund?" Because you can have a mutual fund filled up with cryptocurrency, or you can have a mutual fund filled up with stocks, or a mutual fund filled up with bonds or cash. So it really depends on what's in it or what the mixture is. So uh, those are probably the most common ones as stocks, mutual funds, ETFs are probably going to be what we see the most. Because um, yeah, you could even have a mutual fund or ETF that has bonds or a mutual fund or ETF that has uh, real estate or you name it. So those are probably the most common and, and, and for good reason. Uh, used to be mutual funds were the most popular back in the day. Uh, and now ETFs are kind of like the newer technology. ETF stands for exchange, exchange traded fund. And it's just a newer technology of mutual funds. You can trade them faster. Usually they're cheaper as far as transaction costs. They're a lot more transparent, uh, meaning you can look up the fund at any time during the day and see exactly what they hold. Whereas mutual funds were kind of not as quick to relay information. Like you'd only see once every 90 days what they're buying and investing. Whereas the ECF, you see it almost in real time what they're buying and investing, which is kind of nice. So, so what's they, in there? Yeah. If they change what's in there, you're yep. able to look that up yeah, right away. The ETF, versus- yeah. Whereas the mutual fund, those are probably, you know, those are, we still use them nowadays, but you know, in the eighties and nineties, uh, what was in the mutual fund, you know, you would, 
if you looked it up, you'd only be able to see what was in it at the end of the last quarter, not necessarily what's in it today, because they could have made changes to the what's in the basket, and you won't know till the end of that quarter. Whereas ETFs, it's pretty much almost instantaneous. Um, and it's just part of the reporting requirements for those. So we just like those a little better. They both accomplish the same thing, but some of them are more efficient than others. And mutual funds only trade once a day at the end of the day, whereas ETFs, uh, you can trade them intraday anytime during the day, which doesn't make a huge difference, but uh, it can, like we've had days when the market opens negative 2% and then finishes positive one or 2%. So, you know, if you're a mutual fund, you're buying it at the end of the day, positive 2%. But if you had an ETF, maybe you bought it right at the open and you made a 4% swing in one day. So it can make a difference. But so. you said the ETF could have lower costs than the traditional mutual fund. Yeah. Even yeah. though there's kind of, it, the it's same. trading more. It yeah. Seems. It's it's usually the, the, the trading costs for them. So they call those like commissions. Most ETFs are commission free or very low cost trading. Whereas mutual funds, you know, I've seen some mutual funds trade for, 20, 40, 50 bucks each time you trade it, which is crazy to think about in my, in my opinion, you know, cause that's expensive. Yeah. Uh, this, the secret sauce here, I guess the whole books have been written secret on sauce, this one, yeah. Glenn, what's the secret to making money in stocks? Are you going to reveal it and, and, <laughs> right. and let us know? Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's, it's going to surprise you. Everyone wants to, it sounds kind of, sounds kind of clickbaity, right? What's the secret, you know, click here click for my here. <laughs> 10 step program. I mean, the secret to investing is buy good investments, stay invested for a long time, long term, and consistently put money into your investment account. I mean, it's really not super complicated. I mean, there's a lot of you know stuff that we do behind the scenes to really refine that approach. But the key concepts are are, are, are are pretty simple, like stay invested. Like right now, the market's off uh, substantially for the year. And uh, one of the things that we tell people, and this is, is common sense, but sometimes doesn't always play out this way when we work with people, um, we tell them we should be buying low, selling high. Meaning you want to buy an investment while it's low in price. And as it appreciates, you want to sell high because that's how you make a profit. How you don't make a profit is buying high and then selling low. That's that's how you make a loss. So, but now the you know there's a lot of people right now that are worried and concerned about what's going on in the world. And uh, I think this is the first time in a you know probably a little bit of time that we've actually had some you know concern and we've been almost lulled into uh, such good times that you know we're not used to any kind of difficulty, but this too shall pass. And this is not the time to be, you know, overreacting and, and selling low. You know, you, in fact, you should be trying to buy more low because if you're buying good quality investments, um, you know, I think we all wish we could buy as much Amazon stock as we could back in the early 2000s when, you know, it's still a growing and, and uh, expanding company because it, it was a good company and still is. So, yeah. Or Apple or yeah, some Apple, of those right, that became yeah. one of the world's largest companies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but, and I remember times when Tesla, you know, I think it was like 2000, 2014, 2015, I was in the industry and Tesla was still kind of very much a kind of unsure name. Like people didn't really know where they're going and they really got beat up a lot in their pricing. And I remember some people buying Tesla at those low prices and now they've made who knows how many hundreds or thousands of percent returns since then. So, um, you know, the, the investing can be challenging the aspect of it takes a little bit of, uh, some confidence and some guts to try and buy stuff while they're in low cost, but that's how you make money, you know? So now's the time to be buying more. So if you're, if you're listening, uh, now's not the time to be selling and, and panicking. Now's the time 
time to be buying more because in a year or two now, from now, I think we'll be very pleasantly surprised. In fact, even during the pandemic, I remember when that happened and I was talking with one of my friends. He's like, yeah, if we can get, you know, now it's time to buy. If you can buy now in a year or two, you'll be sitting really pretty. You know? It really tanked there yeah, when it did. everything locked down in early um, uh-huh. 2020. And we didn't know the, the, where everything was going to go either. I mean, I'll be the first to say I didn't know where everything was going to happen during the pandemic year. But I, I had to kind of remind myself too, like this, whatever is happening, this too shall pass. This is not the end. Things will recover. And that was a great time where some people, you know, had fantastic, I mean, doubled and tripled their, you know, returns, you know, from buying at a very strategic point. Um, even some companies that went super low in price that is almost like they're not going to go bankrupt, are they? I mean, you know, you had a company like Boeing go from 400 a share down to 95 a share. And you're thinking to them, like, this company's not going out of business. They make airplanes and the government relies on them so heavily for what they do. They, they're not going anywhere, but they got beat up on price quite a bit. And, and what a great buying opportunity. Cause I think within 30 days of us buying Boeing, it had tripled or doubled in price. So it went from 90 a share up to like 180. So we made a nice little return in a couple months time. All right, let's uh, let's come back and talk about dollar cost averaging uh, plus investing for the long term. Cody's going to chime in on that. And we'll talk about diversification as well. And if you want to learn more, give Glenn a call at 928-225-2474 or go to WTWealthManagement.com. You're listening to Intelligent Investing with Glenn Least, and this is uh, part two of a two-part series, Commonly Asked Investing Questions. And don't forget, Glenn's always happy to talk with you. You can give a call at 928-225-2474. That's 928-225-2474. You can go to WTWealthManagement.com. Already covered a lot of ground, common types of stocks and or investments, I should say. Uh, and, and Glenn revealed the secret to making money in stocks. If you missed that, you have to listen back to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, you got to check it out. <laughs> Absolutely. And plus, uh, let's get into uh, this term that I think a lot of people have heard a lot, and it's, it's called dollar cost averaging. Explain that one, Glenn. Yeah, so the concept of dollar cost averaging is... Uh, I mean, the market goes up and it goes down. There's there's high points, low points in any given year. And dollar cost averaging says, we don't know when the highs are. We don't know when the lows are. We're just going to consistently buy the same amount at a set date each month. So a really common type of uh, dollar cost averaging is uh, someone who's buying through maybe a 401k, they, every pay period, you know, they put the same amount of money in, they buy this, you know, the same type of investments, whether they're high or low, they're, they're buying them on the same date regardless. Cause the, well, the one thing with the market that we don't know until after it's happened is the high points, and the low points, right? We, we don't know what the market's going to do tomorrow. I mean, we have a good guess, but it's always a surprise. So dollar cost averaging kind of takes that uh, out of the equation where we said, we don't know what the market's going to do, you know, day to day, month to month. I mean, over time, you know, over six months or six years, we have a pretty good idea about what it's going to do. But on any specific day, I don't, I mean, we could have a day where the market's up and the next day it's down, the next day it's up, the next day it's down and it doesn't have a rhyme or reason. I think people are always looking for like, Oh, you know, it's got this pattern. You're like, yeah, I've been doing this long enough that 
I haven't seen a recognizable pattern. Uh, so the dollar cost average kind of takes that uh, guesswork out of it, if you will, and just says, I'm going to consistently buy on the first of the month or buy every pay period. And sometimes I'm going to be buying shares at a lower price. Sometimes I'm going to be buying them at a higher price. But over time, it's going to average itself out. And I'm actually going to come out ahead and, and actually have uh, better returns that way. Um, and I'm not having to worry about which particular time I'm buying. So it flattens that out. Yeah, hey, yeah, I'm yeah. putting 50 bucks in a month, regardless of what the situation yep, exactly. is, because I got 25 years or whatever the case may be. Yep. And average that, that out over time. Yeah. So say, say you're going to do uh, $50 a month, which would be $60 a year. Uh, so two different schools of thought is I can just take $60 and put it in all at once. And hopefully I bought it at the low at the low point of the year and it's going to go up. Or you can say I'm doing dollar cost averaging where I'm going to consistently buy. And you see dollar cost averaging is the most popular for people that maybe don't have one lump sum to put in right away. And they're just doing consistently as they save each month. So it's been pretty popular and pretty effective to kind of smooth out okay. those ups and downs. So instead of doing that 600 in a lump sum, it's, yeah. hey, 50-50, I got more chance of And, and they do studies, too, where they say, okay, which is better, dollar cost averaging a lump sum? And, and part of that equation comes back to it's all about time in the market. The more time that you can have your money working for you, the better. So dollar cost averaging is a great tool, but also time in the market is also equally as effective, too. Well, and that ties into something you've covered a lot here in the program, Glenn, uh, investing for the long term and, and why that matters. Yeah. So, um, you know, whenever I sit down with clients, the first thing I ask them is, well, what's the goal? You know, how long are we going to invest for? And uh, even like my my coworker over here, Cody, he's in his early 20s. And so if we ask him the same question, hey, if you're saving for retirement, realistically, how long are we going to be trying to save for? And the answer would be how many years if we're saving for retirement would we be saving for you for? Probably like 40 years, actually. 40 years, right? Long time. So if we've got 40 years, we've got some time to ride those ups and those downs in the market. So the the longer we can have for saving, the the more the money can be working for itself. The interest can be working on top of the interest. And the more we're not as worried about the the short-term fluctuation. So the long-term is important. And and for me, I think of long-term as anything more than maybe like two or four years, right? That gives us, you know, a good amount of time to kind of smooth out, you know, the ups and downs of the market, even if we have multiple bad years or multiple good years. Um, Some people think as long-term as 10 or 20 years, and that's fine too. That's like really long-term. But as long as you have at least three to four years to invest and grow your money, that, that kind of builds in even like a 2008 recession type environment where, you know, it was down. And then within two years, it was back to even. And then two years later, it had been up substantially. So that was all in the course of four years. So as long as we have enough time, you know, we should and, be good. And Cody's in his 20s and we remember our 20s. But for, your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, that seems like an eternity away <laughs> at, when, when you're in your 20s. But you have such a time horizon. Yeah. So, so Cody, so say we're saving for your retirement account. We've got 40 years. How does that change how you look at the day-to-day fluctuations of the stock market, knowing you're saving for 40 years? Well, I'm not too concerned about the fluctuations. What I'm more looking for is four to five years. I know the market's going to be up. So yeah, yeah. looking 40 years from now, if you look at an index like the uh, S&P 500, maybe 30 in the 1980s, it's a lot less then than it is today. Yeah. So, so since you have enough time that allows you to not focus on the day to day, today is not your share price. I mean, your share price is 40 years from now. So that that's, I think psychologically we need that reminder of like, well, what's the goal? What's the time horizon? Well, that ties yeah. back into the last thing we were talking about dollar cost averaging yeah. and saying, Hey, I'm just going to commit this. And perhaps you change that amount as your income levels change over the years. And right. it really helps grow that over time. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So the longer the time that you have to invest it, uh, the better your chances of success are going to be. If you only give me, like I said, a couple days or a couple months, it's like 
coin toss. It's a little harder, yeah. Yeah, and they actually do studies on it. It's like six months, a year, five years, ten years. You know, what's the probability of being positive based on the time horizons? And the further you go out, the you know the higher those numbers are. Um, whereas if it's like day to day, it's like fifty percent chance. Like each day that it'll be positive, each day it'll be negative. It's like hard to see. But if you give us six years, you know, well then our odds are in the high nineties. You know, almost hundred percent. Yeah. Well, Glenn, Cody, let's end this week with this because in the long term, especially we're talking diversification, uh, strategic asset allocation. Why t- talk about what those two terms are, first of all, but also why they're so important. So Cody and I were meeting with uh, an individual and uh, we we're looking at his portfolio. And in my opinion, he wasn't fully diversified. He only had stocks and bonds in there, which all his stocks were down. All of his bonds were down simultaneously. If I was building out his diversified portfolio, I would have also added in our firm would have also added in commodities. So commodities are going to be like oil, timber, steel, wheat, coffee, soy. And, and those have actually done incredibly well this year. So diversification to me means there's always something in your portfolio you probably don't like. You know, So when everything else is up, that one diversifying asset is probably not doing so well, but vice versa. When everything else is down, that one diversifying asset is doing quite well. So we've seen that with commodities this year, where I think that's really the only positive asset class across the board. Everything else is in the negative. So, But Last year or the year before, maybe you weren't quite as excited about commodities. You're more excited about stocks. So diversification is always having something in your portfolio you probably dislike because it's, you know, having that diversification, it's, uh, it's not doing everything quite the same. So it's kind of working uh, in opposite to maybe your other investments. So, you know, there used to be diversification was just stocks and bonds, but now it's stocks, bonds, real estate, commodities. Um, you know, are there some other digital assets or, or alternative investments that, you know, we could add in there too. So there's a lot of different ways to diversify more than just stocks and bonds and strategic, strategic asset allocation. Yeah. So kind of explaining that one, say you have a 50, 50 portfolio, half stocks, half bonds, and your stock side does really well. And your bond side doesn't do well. You may find that now you have a 60% stock portfolio and a 40% bond portfolio because of the changes within those funds. So strategic rebalancing or allocation says we want to bring that back in line, sell some of the winners, and then take those funds to buy some of the, the beaten up parts of the portfolio. And that's more important now than ever. You know, so say if you had been investing in a ton of commodities and you were up 20 or 30% in this year, that'd be a good time to take some of those gains off the table, still stay in commodities, but maybe take some of the profits off and maybe reinvest it back into the stock side of the portfolio that's been beaten up a little bit by those on the low. So it's a very effective technique to, to make money long. And this is something you you're always looking at. Yeah. Yeah. When you're up at 4am thinking about this stuff, we're always (laughs) rebalancing, relooking at it. Sometimes we change our allocations to say, well, we were really excited about this investments and, you know, we were at 5% allocation, but now we're not as excited. So maybe we're at 4% or maybe we're more excited. So now we want to put the uh, asset allocation at 6%, meaning that's the target weighting we want to have. So that way, depending on how everything else moves, it always tries to keep that same weighting. So uh, rebalancing and target allocation, it doesn't sound very interesting, but it becomes interesting when you start making money and doing well in your portfolio. Especially when you're looking at long-term and you're looking at it, like um, Cody was saying, of, of, a, a 20, 30, 40, 50 right. year horizon. Imagine what the world was like 10 years ago, 20 years, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, things you have to constantly, you're constantly evaluating that. Yeah. Yeah. And we were actually looking at a chart just the other day and it shows 12 different asset classes over 12 years and it ranks them highest performing to lowest performing. And every year there's a different order of them. And it's kind of interesting to look like, well, what's the rhyme or reason? You're like, well, you know, a lot of times there isn't necessarily, but you know, sometimes when things go out of favor, 
you know, the next year they become in favor and vice versa. So a good example is this year, uh, growth stocks are probably not as popular as they were last year and the year before value has come back into popularity. Um, but value wasn't as exciting in 2020. Uh, Peloton was exciting and Netflix and Roku, you know, those growth companies are really exciting, but now when they're getting beat up pretty substantially, you're more interested in those, uh, steady eddy companies. Yeah. yeah. Bottom value line, companies. give you a call. You'll talk yeah. about all this with, with everyone and, uh, all right, Glenn, Cody, appreciate it. And uh, don't forget to go look up Intelligent Investing with Glenn Least, your yep. favorite podcast provider. Yep, Amazon Subscribe. Music, Pandora, Spotify, just type in Glenn Least, Intelligent Investing, you'll find us. Absolutely. All right, and if you want to talk with Glenn, give him a call at 928-225-2474. That's 928-225-2474. You can go to WTWealthManagement.com and don't forget to tune in same time next week and subscribe to that podcast. We'll see you soon. 